Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adelamarcy. Well, Adelamarcy Unplugged. I almost said my damn site name again. Anyway, so welcome to Adelamarcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adelamarcy. And today we have Akshay Nanavati with us, who is, uh, by all accounts, a certified world badass. Not just because of the work he's done, but he's a Marine. Let's let's be honest. There's not many guests on my show that I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that guy can kick my ass. He's one of the few. Okay? Just just an FYI. He, this man could beat the crap out of me with my own hand if he chose to. Thankfully, he's a really cool dude. He's not going to do that. But anyway, um, the, so just a quick run showdown of the sponsors for the show today. We've got uh, AdelaMarcy.com. As always, we sponsor the show and have the show up on our site. This episode's also sponsored by Abrasive entrepreneur uh, abrasive that link's gonna be in the description go there check it out my buddy shane um did like a whole thing on facebook psychology and how facebook ads and psychology behind all the fun stuff there he's given it away for free it's like an hour-long training go check it out this dude's a legit badass and like one of my good friends that i always speak to uh and as, as always this show is sponsored by our current guest right now uh fearvana.com if you check that out, it's F-E-A-R-V-A-N-A.com. Like Nirvana, not just the American band, but, you know, the, the feeling of Buddhism and stuff, but with Fearvana instead. Um, check it out because uh, this guy, okay, I read his story. I can tell you right now, A, I'm buying the book. B, he's getting, I'm getting him to sign it some way or another. And C, I'm probably going to have him show again. So without further, like, you know, fuckery, let's get Akshay on here. Dude, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, man. I love that intro. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's true, though. I mean, seriously, for, for the love of God, dude, you over, just to give it anyone that's not really heard of you, I mean, the Sinead O'Connor thing alone, I think uh, by the time the show goes out, it'll be in a couple of weeks. So August 8, 2017, I think they interviewed you for Sinead O'Connor's like, uh, psychological breakdown or like, how she felt, a video coming out saying that she's lonely and has all these feelings about depression. I mean, that, that was August 8th, right? Yeah, actually, that was yesterday, and funnily enough, just yesterday, I did a TV interview about that, where Pix11 in New York was sort of, you know, interviewed me about that whole thing with Sinead O'Connor and my thoughts and take on it, because I've been through that myself. <laughs> Hells yeah. I mean, like, just if you don't mind, I'm going to give everyone just a quick uh, over overview of who you are, but I want you to go into it, like, just interrupt me whenever, sure. like... The stuff that I've read about you, you've like you a you overcome a drug addiction, you overcame um, alcohol addiction, you had PTSD, you're a former goddamn marine, and you know, <laughs> thank you for being so cool in the way that you are as well. You're an adventurer, you're an entrepreneur, you've overcome PTSD, or you know, at least dealt with it in a way that's uh, empowering. Because I know people that have PTSD, and the moment any sign of shock or stress that comes up to them, they go completely shut down. Like, completely shut down. I'm like, it's very rare to see someone actually take that, use it in a way, and run forward with it. I think the only other person that could probably compare you to, and I don't like comparing people, but draw the comparison to, is David Goggins. Because that motherfucker's crazy as crazy. Yeah, um, he's, he's awesome. He's badass, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I put you in the same league, because you have that too. Because you've overcome some stuff that is just insane, and now you're going out there, and you created this book, Fivana, which is basically a revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, uh, wealth and happiness. Because let's be honest, if you can use your fear, um, it's your greatest driving force. Right? In my Absolutely. Opinion. Yeah, well, you yes. just... Go on. 
No, no, yeah, you're right. I mean, you can do anything if you leverage your fear, and that's what I learned through all these experiences. You know, I uh, in in high school I went through a phase of drugs. I lost two friends to drug addiction. That's what I got out of that, and I joined the Marines. And through the Marines, I started pursuing all these outdoor sports. I went, you know, cave diving, rock climbing, mountain climbing, ice diving, ice climbing. I mean, you name it. And that's what I found the value in engaging fear. You know, all these things that I did were absolutely terrifying, but that's why I did them. And it was funny because I actually did a talk once at Ryzen, and some lady asked me you know how are you so fearless because she heard all these things that i do and i do and i specifically stated i'm not fearless i do these things because they're scary because engaging your fears is where you find growth and when you find bliss and everything is through engaging your fears and then as a result of that i went to the marines and when i came back from iraq is when i struggled with ptsd and alcoholism but that led me to fear vana so i'm grateful for all the lows as well because they they've led to greater highs <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I totally that I definitely reckon, um, appreciate a more more bold take on because uh, something that a lot of people don't know about my story is the reason I used to fight because I did uh, Thai boxing and MMA for a very long time in my life. Now I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu just to relax more than anything. It's a really good meditation. But growing up for a very long time, I used that fear and adoration leveraged over it to get in the ring. Mm. Um, because for yeah. me, for me, it was a way to deal with it. And yeah, yeah. It's scary how we think. But also something I really want to touch upon, you actually were on Mount Kilimanjaro not too too long ago. You climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, right? Yeah, I actually did that right when I came back from Iraq. I came back from Iraq in 2008, and uh, it was a pretty awesome summer. So I just come back from, you know, spending seven months in the war zone. I came back, I did my whole sort of demobilization with the Marines, and then I went climbing in the Himalayas for two weeks. I climbed up to about 20, 21,000 feet up there. Then I went straight from the Nepalese Himalayas to the Indian Himalayas, climbed up to about 14 and a half Fourteen and a half thousand feet there, and then went to Israel, where my parents were living at the time. So we did a ten-day trip in Israel with four of my Marine buddies, and then went straight from there to Tanzania and climbed Kilimanjaro and uh, and did a safari after that. So it was a pretty cool summer coming back from Iraq. <laughs> that sounds like an excellent summer vacation. Like, what did you? Oh, you know, climb some mountains, chilled out, went on safari, <laughs> just you know, chill stuff like that. It's like, dude, that's not normal. It's like, yeah, well, it is for me. So sure, it's cool, good. So, like, how yeah. did you how did you like overcome? I mean, the first thing I want to say is, how did you overcome drug addiction? Because that alone is probably one of the hardest things people face, and addiction in general. Because if you, overcome, if you can overcome yeah. drug addiction, you can overcome any addiction. Like, my addiction is straight up sugar. I know I have an addiction to sugar, and that's something I'm helping cut down on. But like, how the hell did you do it? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I was, when I when I was in the drug phase in high school, I was probably, the, I think that was, I was the first guy in my group, me and one of the guy uh, that started doing the hard stuff, going from marijuana to doing harder drugs, LSD, cocaine, and I was at a phase where, honestly, I would have done any drug that came my way, and thankfully, I'm glad that many of the other ones did not come my way, not that I wasn't seeking them out at a time, but I lost two friends to drug addiction, I actually still remember what changed my life was watching the movie Black Hawk Down. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, it's a pretty amazing. It's got so many crazy good actors in there. It's like, yeah, really, you're in that? How did you? How did I not see you before? <laughs> right. It's. I mean, it's an amazing movie, and it's a very intense war movie based on a true story. So yeah. actually, watching that movie and watching the courage of men sacrificing their lives for their fellow human beings really triggered something in me. I mean, I still remember that evening. I still remember in high school, we were actually going to go do a night of like about to go do a ton of LSD and stuff like that. And one friend wanted to go watch Black Hawk Down. And I said, uh, and nobody would go. And I was like, all right, I'll go with you. And I ended up watching it. I still remember we dropped, dropped him back to his house. He had the book Black Hawk Down. I borrowed the book from him. 
and then started reading book after book on military and combat and almost overnight then said, okay, you know what? I realized I was living a very selfish and meaningless existence, decided to do something more meaningful and, uh, and, and said, I'm going to, I'm going to join. And, and cause when you serve in the military, you know, it's about the good of the group. The military does not care about your, you and your well being. All that matters is the mission and the men, the men that's beside you. So serving in, in its exact opposite of that lifestyle of drugs, you know, where you're well, where you're living this very selfish, meaningless existence here, you're serving something bigger than yourself and you're serving in, in order to serve, uh, to be a part of a group. So it was an amazing challenge to take on. And it was really, um, it was the exact opposite of that. That's why, that's what got me out of drugs. And that's why I wanted to fight my way into the Marines. And I actually say fight my way into the Marines because I had to, I had a blood disorder or I have a blood disorder that two doctors told me Marine Corps boot camp would kill me as a result of. So I had to sort of go to a third doctor, get a letter from him. And it took me about a year and a half to get all the medical waivers that I needed because the condition was disqualifying. They wouldn't allow me in. So I had to sort of wait for a little while to fight my way into the Marines. And obviously I survived and proved those doctors wrong. <laughs> Yeah, hell yeah, you did, you badass. Just check it out. So, yeah, I'm just gonna be. Could, could you? Can we just take like a second just to acknowledge? Just every, nearly every time Akshay speaks, it's just like I'm just gonna add one more layer to the badass cake. Just, just one more. You know, blood disorder. It's gonna kill me. Whatever. I'm just gonna add that on. I, you know, I kicked their ass. Someone had did it. It's like drug addiction. Friends died. It's all cool. Watch Black Hawk Down. I'm good. It's fine. It's like, dude, could you stop being awesome for like five minutes? You make. You're making me feel like shit right now. It's like, oh yeah, what did you do with your life? I've been writing copy for most of my life. I used to fight and stuff. I used to be a comedian. Well, have no, you ever done man. this? No. Shit. <laughs> I need to go do something. No, but... honestly, I I share all this also to really point out though that like I am the poster child for making mistakes, man. And if I can do any of this, I promise you anybody can. I really cannot stress that point enough. I mean, when I was in high school, I got sent to jail for like lighting a microwave on fire. I was I had been I'd been caught in school doing dr- you know smoking marijuana. It was like the dumbest. I got caught. I mean, to be honest with you, I put my mom through hell. I feel awful for my parents. I was like the worst child you could imagine. Because even getting out of that, then it's like. Guess what? I'm joining the Marines now, you know. And it was post 9/11. Almost inevitably, I'd be going to war. So uh, I've been a nightmare of a child and made tons of mistakes, like mistake after mistake. So the point of all of this is that if I can do it, I promise anybody can. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. But like, kind of jumping back to this, how the hell did you set a microwave on fire? Because I know I did that when I was like, I did that when I was 14, and I remember the goddamn day. It's like the reason I had a fear of microwaves after that because. Um, <laughs> I put like some garlic bread in there with like a like a glass plate. It was normal. It was a microwave oven. The motherfucker caught fire, and I was the only one in the house. I had to basically like lock everything down to make sure nothing burnt oh, down. Oh my god! <laughs> it was brilliantly oh. funny at the time, and like for the, for years afterwards, I refused to have a microwave until like yeah. I moved. Let's see, I'm 27, most 28. <laughs> By the time the show comes out, I would have had my 28th birthday. <laughs> And I've only I overcome this fear. Finally had a microwave, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, ours, mine was not some accident. We actually took a microwave to an empty cul-de-sac, lit it, like poured gasoline on it, lit it on a fire, like beat it, like inspired by Office Space, where they, if you I don't know if you've seen the Office Space movie, where these guys from an office take a fax machine and like beat the hell out of it. So we, we, my friend had a microwave, but we did it too. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Then we had cops come in and they arrested us. We sent, sent to jail. Uh, uh, you know, spent overnight in jail. My parents had to pick me up the next day, which they absolutely loved, as you can imagine. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, one of one of many, many uh, now funny stories from a misspent youth. But at the time, it was a series of things that my parents were like, oh, my God, my child is headed down a very, very bad path. Because, uh, you know, I had a great childhood, great parents, put me in the best school, you know, couldn't ask for more. And, uh, and I repaid them with a lot of misery. <laughs> but thankfully, now I think they're proud of me. <laughs> Well, I, I would hope so, but like saying that, I mean, 
Well, something that I always look at, especially with stuff like this, because um, a friend of mine, a really dear friend of mine, actually talks about how entrepreneurs and business owners can sometimes act out completely as children. They don't know why. It's like, I don't get why I'm upset. I don't get why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm different. And it just comes out in different ways, sometimes destructive, sometimes constructive. So in that same sense, would you say that that was like a big key factor that like thinking back at it right now, that all those things you went through actually gave you the experience in order to, well, pursue what you do now, like with Fearvana, with like living life the way you do? Absolutely, man. I mean, yeah, totally right. Like I realized then that, you know, like I'd, you know, I've this, I've, I've always been seeking out that high. I channeled it through a very negative way, obviously, with drugs. Like I said, even with drugs, I was the first person to go into the extreme stuff. You know, I was that guy pushing the line, pushing the line of of drugs, and uh, and now I do the same thing, just in a positive way. So learn to reframe that. But those stories now, you know, they're sort of funny stories of a misspent youth. But I mean, I could have headed down a very dark path, and as I said, I lost two friends to drug addiction. Uh, so it could that could and that could have easily been me so but now i look at all of those and they're great and grateful for each low because i mean if i hadn't done drugs i would never would have joined the marines you know like if i had found outdoor sports back then i would have never joined the marines i probably would have pursued outdoor sports and gotten fully all into that you know but now i'm grateful that i joined the marines it was one of the most powerful you know amazing experiences of my life that again led to lows of course but also led to highs so i think that you know, when you experience it, it, it is hard, it's challenging, but, but as a result of, you know, the, the lower the lows, the higher the highs, and it's, and it's been a, in a gift to me to experience all of that, the entire spectrum of the human experience, you know, I mean, in my 32 years, I've experienced quite a bit, and I'm, uh, uh, I'm truly grateful for that, I've lived quite a life, and, uh, and I'm sure there's more to go, hopefully not so much in that, in those silly misspent youth type category, but, uh, <laughs> but some more, you know, some more grateful, uh, great experiences, that's, it's part of the, it's a, it makes life interesting, you know? How's yeah, it does? I mean, that's one of the crazy things. <laughs> now, I have a question just more or less just because I'm curious about how the Marines do it because I have a number of friends that are former Marines or veterans. Um, I have a friend of mine that is that is a current like Royal Marine of England. I can't yeah. really speak to him all that much because, you know, obviously he's on training all the time, so you can't really speak to them. Um, yeah. But my question really is like, how the hell do they re- – like, why are Marines so good at business? It's like every Marine I kn- I've known that is in business today is like, no – we just get shit done. It's how we do things. I'm like, dude, I need some of that. How do you do that? Because I wake up, I go to the gym, I come home, I get my work done, and then I fall asleep halfway through the day. I'm like, oh, shit, what am I doing in my life? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I'm sure it's not the case. And that's true. You know, like with the Marine thing, that's one thing that I've learned is definitely is, is the pure grit, like the willingness. I mean, you know, I just – somebody asked me, like, what is if you have one one talent? Like I'm about to go to this event where they were asking about sort of like a talent show. And I'm not like trying to be humble when I say I literally have no talent. Like I am not like the best writer uh, my wife even came up with the word Fearvana. She's my like unpaid creative director and uh, of our little of our little team here. She came up with the word. She came up with the logo. She's an amazingly gifted writer. But the one thing that I, if I do have one skill, it's just pure grit, man. Like if I choose to do something, I'll suffer for it. I'll be willing to die for it. I mean, as I said, you know, boot camp. Two doctors told me it would kill me, and like I, I twisted my ankle in one of the hikes in in the boot camp, and you know, I just wasn't going to like wasn't going to quit. That's why I run because it's something simple. It's just putting one foot in front of the other. But I know that I'll suffer to get to the end result. You know, so uh, that's just I think that Marine Corps built that build that mentality and i think that's the core skill you know because life's gonna punch you in the face sometimes if you pursue any many meaningful challenge it's gonna be hard it's gonna be it's gonna require a struggle but the greater your ability to handle that struggle the greater the ability you have to suffer well the more you can do in life i mean i I say in the book in fact i have a chapter called the gift of suffering that the single most important skill to develop in life is a positive relationship to suffering yeah 
I, I mean, that I will agree with a thousand percent. Right? Now, like, again, dude, I'm seriously just reading through your bio because I have it right in front of me. I'm just like, man, this guy is... There's so many areas I want to take this conversation. And because I'm just so damn curious about how you do all these things. Like, <laughs> you, you've got the whole suicide aspect as well. I mean, like, with PTSD... And again, I know a number of my listeners are actually um, in business and how... Or, you know, they're in the self-development market where they themselves... Mm-hmm usually go through these feelings now with ptsd as someone that a has never suffered it but i have bipolar depression so i do definitely understand like the brink of suicide and the highs and the lows but with yeah. ptsd that's a very specific condition i mean as far as i'm aware people can just go straight to um what's it called they, they they have a trigger and that trigger just basically sends them back to a place of complete um either dependency on something or just yeah. complete shutdown so what was that like for you and what did you do to like start using what is essentially the i'm assuming here um the goal of fearvana like how did you end up using that and create fearvana out of it to basically become you so i think you know the lessons from ptsd i think definitely apply to depression to to any lows in entrepreneurs feeling to, to anxiety to fear to stress all of it because when i was diagnosed with ptsd you know i had uh, for example after i came back from iraq i struggled with loud noises i was jumpy you know than the uh, than, than the average person i struggled with crowds i didn't like being in crowds and these so the the veteran affairs therapist labeled this with post-traumatic stress disorder but what i came to learn in all my research in neuroscience and psychology and spirituality is that the symptoms of post-traumatic stress are not indicative of a disorder. So just because I'm jumping when there's loud noises doesn't mean it's a disorder. That's a very normal human response to war where my brain learned to say loud noises equals death. So, you know, be cautious of it kind of thing. And it's the same thing like, you know, I struggled with survivor's guilt when I got back from Iraq. So even before I left, I lost a very close friend of mine in the war. And we were in the same unit. We would volunteer to go to Iraq and get together all the time. And one summer I was vacationing in India. He ended up going. He never came back. Damn. And I always felt like I should have gone there with him. Like it was my fault. I was out there having fun. So I felt guilty that like who was I? So for, you know, after I, come, after I came back from Iraq, it was like, why did I deserve to come back and not him, you know? And, uh, and I, I should have gone there with him and that should have been me that died instead of him. And that, you know, everybody kept saying this, you know, th- then that guilt is a symptom of quote, quote unquote symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder. But you know what? It's not. It's just a, it's just a symptom of post-traumatic stress, but it's not indicative of a disorder. It's a very human response when you serve in an institution where, you know, your men are above you and the people you serve decide. So I learned to disassociate myself from that guilt and find value in it. So everybody told me, you know, get rid of the guilt. It's okay. It's not your fault. And rationally, I get it. Like even if I had gone there with him, a million different things could have come in the way. He could have died. I could have still come home, right? But emotionally, it did not change the fact that I felt guilty that I was off having fun one summer and he went and I didn't go with him. So for a long time, that guilt drove me to dark places with suicide and alcoholism and running away from it. But now my guilt is my greatest ally. I actually have a poster up on my wall of my friend. I even have him his picture on the front of my little training journal that I log my, my training in. And it's a picture of him and me, and it says, this should have been you. Earn this life. Now my guilt helps me stay sober. It reminds me that it's up to you to do something meaningful with this life, you know, to, to do something valuable with it. And so the point of all of this is that whether it be depression, fear, stress, anxiety, post-traumatic stress – you know, these things are normal human responses. They're normal human emotions, but there are no bad or good emotions. It's up to us to decide what we do with them. Even guilt, which can drive you to, you know, drove me to alcoholism and and the brink of suicide, but now it's my greatest ally in staying sober and doing meaningful work in the world. So the the, the point in this and the, the, the what listeners can take away is that 
you can separate yourself from your emotions because neuroscience has actually also shown we don't control what first shows up in our brain. So when, you know, let's say every time I am sitting on a computer and I feel anxiety and actually had a client who was like this, every time he sat on the computer to write, he would feel severe anxiety. He went to therapist after therapist who helped him, who was working with them to try to get rid of the anxiety. Came to me, the first thing I said is we're not going to get rid of the anxiety because you don't control it anymore. Your brain has created a pattern that says computer equals anxiety and I'm going to run away and go watch TV. So your job is not to fight that anxiety and eliminate it. It's to be with it, to be present to it, and then you can then you get to decide what you would do with it. So that's why it's really essential to realize that there are no bad or good emotions. They are just emotions. And when you can create the space between your emotions and your conscious choice and what you do with it, then every emotion can become your ally, even guilt. Wow, now that's really powerful. I mean, even for me, I mean, that's shit that I do. That I know that isn't very conducive, and that right there, I'm just like sat down taking notes about this. It's brilliant. So. How would someone, like, say, someone that is going through something like that, where they can't sit through yeah. um, a certain situation, how do they actually sit in that situation? Because I've heard that before, and I've, I've had guests say that before. You need to sit in the situation, you need to sit there, you need to ne- not neutralize it, but you kind of need to normalize it in a way. Because if it's greater than you, then you fear it. If it's below you, you don't yeah. take it seriously. So you need to find it on an even playing field and go, okay, cool, I see it for what it is. Yeah. What, what's your process? Because for me, it's um, meditation and isolation tanks. But what's your yeah. process? No, meditation definitely helps in, in creating that space between the emotion and your choice and what you do with it. But, you know, I, I know it's hard to do this, and I've heard people say this to be with it. So, I, okay, I, and I realized this was really hard. So, through all my research, I came up with a little formula to help people do this and actually, like, so it systematized the process. And it's the, the formula is L-M-N-O-P. So, the first step is L label and language and what you do is you just label your emotion and repeat it as many times as you need to and neuroscience has shown when you label your emotion it reduces activity in the emotional part of your brain and increases activity in the phys- in the in the part of your brain related to focus and awareness so what that does is it creates a space okay my emotional brain i can separate myself from it and now it, it increases my part of my brain to focus focus and awareness so I can do something with it. And second part of that L is language. This is where you literally shift your body language from a place like this client that I mentioned with anxiety. Every time we'd get on Skype, he'd be slouched over and looking depressed, immediately had him sit up in a powerful pose because studies have also shown that increases testosterone in the body and helps you fight cortisol, which is a stress hormone. So that's L. The M is meaning. So what is the meaning you've created to the event and or the emotion that's causing it to be debilitating? So in this case, he had created a, a meaning to the a computer that nobody would want to read his writing and it was garbage and you know nobody would want to find value in it. So and, and also not only that, he had created a meaning to the anxiety that you know because I feel anxiety from sitting in a computer, I'm weak, I'm pathetic, nobody, you know, I'm I'm this awful human being. So he had a meaning about himself because of the anxiety. The next step is the N. The N is where I think it really gets revolutionary and essential part is N is it's not me, it's my brain. So you're literally telling yourself, this is not me. This is just my brain, but I am not my brain and my brain is not me. So even when I was going through this post-traumatic stress phase, I would do the same thing. Okay, I'm going through this thing, but I am not my brain and my brain is not me. Because if all we were were our emotional states, we'd all be like this neurotic crazy mess, right? Because we, we change emotions all the time. So we separate ourselves from it by saying N, this is not me. The next step is O. Always you opt for a new meaning. So he would look for, he would consciously, and you might not believe it in your core if you're being yet, but nonetheless, you're going to consciously seek out a new meaning. So he would seek out a meaning, this one client with anxiety saying that, you know what, in my, in his, in the previous life, he had like, I mean, earlier in his career, he'd been very successful looking at that, leveraging that, creating those as anchor points and saying, you know what, I have been very successful. People will find value in my work and also reframing your meaning to the emotion. So he actually realized that the anxiety can mean something powerful. The only reason he's feeling anxious from writing is because he cares enough about 
about the work. Otherwise, he wouldn't feel anxious, right? He cares enough about doing meaningful work and, and putting an impact in the world. That's why he feels anxiety. So all of a sudden, now the anxiety has a powerful meaning to it. And finally, the P is what's called purpose and preemptive strikes. So purpose is you know, taking in an action in line with your higher purpose. So this means you have to do something differently. So currently his brain had a pattern saying computer anxiety TV. Now we have to do something to rewire that brain and you're literally creating new physical wiring in your brain. So initially it was just sitting at the computer for two minutes. Even if nothing comes out, you're doing something differently. Two minutes then became five minutes and 10 minutes and so on and so forth as you grow. That's the P part. The second part of that P is preemptive strikes. And this is where you preemptively prepare for obstacles you know will show up. So he knows every time he sits and the computer anxiety is going to show up. So he preemptively prepares for it by planning in detail how he's going to prepare. Okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to go through the steps. I'm going to label my motion. I'm going to sit tall and preemptively engage, you know, step by step an action plan of how you're going to get ready for this obstacle. And I've done that to so much success in my life. Like when, for example, one day I woke up with, and I had two client calls. And I, after that, I had a five mile run scheduled. But I knew after my client call, I'd be tired and I want to go back to sleep and take a nap, right? So what I did was before my client call, I put on my iPod, my running watch, my running shoes. And I made and, and just set up to go running. So after my second call, all I did was to step out the door. I made it as psychologically easy as possible to take that action by preemptively preparing for the obstacle of fatigue I knew would show up. So that LMNOP tool is just a simple formula that really helps you sit with your emotion and, and channel it into purposeful action and ultimately rewire your brain. Wow, so that's actually inside the book, correct? You let it, me is. Go through? it is, it is, yes. Because <laughs> I know I kind of ran through it fast just in terms of time, but it is inside no. the book, yes. No, no, dude, <laughs> I, I wanted you to go through that just simply because it's like, A, amazing, and thank you for sharing that because it's so goddamn powerful. And also because it's, you, you've kind of like given me, um, just from personal insight in my own life, what I tend to do is when I wake up in the morning, like before I go to bed, because my jujitsu class is at 7 a.m., mm. right? And my gym yeah. is an hour away, it's about 30 30 to 45 minutes away from my from my house, right? So it's a bit of a travel away. Yeah. Uh, but I love my team. I love my morning sessions. It's nice and quiet. We get a good, we've got a good thing going. We have like our own little hashtag morning crew. We've got our own little thing going out. So shout out to my morning crew if they do listen to this. <laughs> but, you know, I fucking love you guys. Anyway, so what I'm saying is that before I go to bed every night, even if I'm, even if I'm falling asleep at 2 o'clock in the morning, I've got to get up at 5.50 every morning, right? Yep. So... What I do is I pack all my jujitsu stuff in my backpack, leave it at the foot of my bed with my bottle of water, my iPod, my headphones, and everything right there just laid out. And it's like, okay, as soon as you get up, you're putting this thing on, you're walking to the bathroom, you're going to brush your teeth while getting dressed, and then you're, gonna, you're just going to like wash your face very quickly, pick up your bag again, and leave the house. And the cool thing is like my cats have actually got, like they've got very clever to this because they're not allowed in my bedroom. Um, my boy Chase, he's got very, very clever to this. So what he does now, I think he kind of knows that I've been getting lazy a little bit. He'll walk up to my bedroom door. He'll He's figured out how to finally, after two and a half years, how to open the door. Like he'll jump wow. on like the, the, <laughs> the handle. It's like a new behavior. I'm like, where the hell are you getting this from? It's weird. But he'll, he'll never get it in one. He'll get it on like seven or eight tries. And you just hear this spring just keep smacking on the door. I'm like, man, what the hell's going on? So that'll wake me up. At like 5.50, 5.30 in the morning, every day that shit goes on. I'm like, I hate this little motherfucker, but I need to get out. I need to go to the gym. I need to go to the gym. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Not even yeah. a thing that's that. So, no, I love that. And you've been preemptively prepared, right, by keeping it ready. And studies have shown, actually, even people with uh, struggling with, like, elderly patients struggling with hip and knee replacement surgery after doing that, by doing these preemptive strikes and planning in detail how they're going to engage that period, like, simple things like how I'm going to walk to the bus stop, how I'm going to take a bath, like, planning it in detail, it would they, those patients recovered three times faster than the ones who didn't. 
So it's uh, exactly what you're doing, and, and that's why I came up with that, that like labeled it preemptive strikes. But, uh, but all these steps have really been proven by research, and they're very, very effective. Yeah, it's an incredible amount of um, it's an incredible amount of research to play how our brains actually work because they're so goddamn powerful. Again, like I think I, I can't remember which author said it was like you're born with this incredible computer, but no one gave you the damn uh, no one gave you the damn exactly. owner's manual, so you've got to figure it out. So, <laughs> so with fear, Varner, kind of like taking it back to this, what would you say would be like? Um, well, I don't know how big the book is because again, I haven't really seen it, but like. What would you say would be the most important parts for someone to quickly go through? Like, if they will say, all right, this is a book, I'm going to sit down and get through it. Because um, I know people that, like, entrepreneurs, we have ADD to yeah. the, up to the eyeballs, most right. of us. So it's like we just <laughs> skip around a book all the time. What all would right. you say would be the three key things in that book they should take away from? Like, it's an absolute must. If you're going to do anything in my book, take these lessons away. I mean, don't tell us the exact lessons, but, like, tell us the chapters, obviously, because I want them to read it. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm happy, you know, the sort of three big takeaways and then the book kind of goes into more detail. But I would say the three big ones is one we touched on is that we don't control what first shows up in our brain. And that's an essential point because that's how you separate yourself from your brain and you realize that what's happening in your brain is not you. It's not how, you know, you don't, you don't define your self-identity self -identity by that. So we don't control what first shows up in our brain and it sort of questions the whole nature of free will. But when you accept that point, then you can actually do something with it. So I'd say that is one of the most you know, one of the key points right there is is that element. The second element is that that the brain can always change, I would say. So I talk a lot about the science of neuroplasticity on how the brain is very, very malleable. So whatever where wherever you wherever you know wherever you are right now is we don't control it and there are no bad or, and, and that actually ties into there are no bad or good emotions. So we can actually do what we want with it and change our brain. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how set you are in your patterns, wherever you are, you can change your brain. And finally, in order to do that, which I think is the third and the most valuable lesson, is that the single most important skill you can develop is a positive relationship to suffering. I stress that point. As I mentioned, I have a chapter in the book about it, the gift of suffering. Then the chapter right after that is called the most important habit of all, which is ultimately I, I, I call it cultivate courage. That's the habit title that I call cultivating courage. But really, it's about building this positive relationship to suffering. So and so that's 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 probably the biggest number. If there was number one takeaway, it's that. And I go a little bit more into how to do that. But my favorite way, and you're kind of doing it, we've talked about it and touch on is exercise. Exercise is a great way to get comfortable with suffering. It's a simple thing that almost anybody can. Can do and you don't I mean and would choose your choose your you know name your poison it can be jujitsu it can be running it can be going to work out in the gym but when you exercise you almost will suffer if you push yourself in the gym and the, and you'll get more and more comfortable pushing that line and uh, and you will learn how to suffer well and when you do that you can also surround yourself by reminders of how to suffer well like so for example in my gym I have this poster up on my wall that says during a workout you should think four things one I'm not gonna make it two I want to quit Three, I'm going to die if I keep going. Four, I'd rather die than finish this. And right under that, it says, are you working hard enough? So when I have that in my gym, it's a reminder that, you know what? If I get to number four, if I, if when I'm suffering, suffering is a good thing. And I'm not, you know, just to be clear, I'm not saying you should do this every workout. We need recovery workouts and all that stuff and sort of the signs of working out. But the point is, this is a poster that reminds me that suffering is a good thing and building that positive relationship to it. And you do that and you can do anything that comes, you know, anything you want to do in life. Yeah. Um, wow. That's incredible. 
And I agree. <laughs> like, no, I agree with you. I mean, like, yeah, the idea I feel, of having... I feel like you can relate. You can re resonate for sure, right? <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, um, something I have in my journal because writing shit down always helps for whatever reason. Um, yeah. What I've started, like, this is just a practice I put out, and maybe it's something you could do for you. I don't know because I love doing that. But if you listen to the show, it's a new practice I started doing. I'm starting to see a bit of a, a big shift because my big thing for a very long time, to get a little bit personal here, was um, I never gave myself any credit. Like, no matter what I did, it had to be perfect. If it wasn't perfect, it wasn't good enough. And by perfect, it could be perfect for everyone else. But if it yeah, wasn't perfect for me, yeah. yeah, it's like, um, I, I sat on delaying my course. Like, I have a, I have a course coming out for, like, um, uh, how to take your story and turn it into money called The Story Selling Blueprint. I sat on this thing for literally eight, nine months after selling it to a few people. I mean, I got them on the phone. I helped them out one-on-one -on -one and stuff. So I'm like... They got their money's worth, and I'm happy to hear that. But at the same time, like, I was looking through the slides, and I've done all the videos at this point. And I'm, like, looking at it going, yeah, no, I would totally have changed that. I would have done this. I would have done this. I would have done this. <laughs> I've sent this to a friend of mine that's a fellow copywriter. They've not written for as long as I have. They, I think they've written for about three years. I've been doing it for about 16, so, like, huge difference in experience. Yeah. But, like, it's really cool. I sent it to them. I was like, hey, what do you, do you think this is good enough? For like the average business owner to go into read and understand, you know, to get a real understanding of how to, they looked at me and went, yeah, dude, this is like bare basic bones all the way to advanced stuff, all covered like A to Z. The only things that you're probably missing is anything on like really more advanced shit that you covered in your bonuses. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, shut the fuck up and just release it, please. I'm like, fair enough, <laughs> right. I will do. But the reason I say that is like, um, what I've done is every morning, like I've just got like a regular A5 journal and uh, at the top, you know how you have like a little bit more space at the top of the journal or on top of the page yeah. because they want you to write a title and stuff. I've started like drawing a black line across that top line and just like writing a message to myself every day. So some of the stuff I have in here were, was, um, I changed it because someone actually sat me down with me, sat down with me and actually gave me some advice. And I was like, I love myself. That's all the validation I want to need. Uh, stuff is like loving myself empowers me. It's safe for me to receive love from myself and others. I love myself and accept my greatness. Just shit like that is really powerful. And that's just, that's just for my own stuff. For you, something like you just put out there, um, those three things that you, th is it three or four things? Three oh, things. The, that, yeah. The poster your, in the gym, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, four steps, you know, that boils down to at the bottom that uh, uh, I'd rather die than finish this. Uh, but, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more about what you said as well, and I do something similar because, you know, I, I myself struggle with this thing where if I would run five miles, I'd beat myself up for not running seven. If I run yeah. seven, not ten, right? Like, kind of thing, and there's no end to that. So, I, you know, it's definitely important to pause, celebrate the wins. I mean, just yesterday, you know, I did a recovery run and I was like immediately, uh, you know, like, no, actually the weekend I ran 11 miles after a nine miler on Saturday. So Saturday, nine, Sunday, 11. And then the first day I was like, oh, you know, I could have done more. And I'm like, then I just had to pause myself. You know what? I'm celebrating the fact that I did this and I'm enjoying it. So I love what you said, man. And I think it's so valuable that we all need to, because I think at some point we all, at some degree, every person has this not good enough syndrome somewhere buried within us. Right. So acknowledging that we are good enough that we celebrate our wins is huge yeah and very valuable it's such a huge win to actually get through that now something i do want to give time to because i've, I've been, i was i wanted to build up to this but i want to give a little bit of time to this your work literally just funds your nonprofit, the Fir firvana foundation right 
Yes, so we've started a non- yeah, 501c3 called the Fearvana Foundation. All the proceeds from the book are going towards the charity uh, and then, you know, portion of the back end as well. And and as Fearvana grows into different verticals, the, the vision for Fearvana essentially is what Sir Richard Branson is to Virgin. I want to be to Fearvana. So we're going to be creating a Fearvana Fitness, Fearvana Academy, Fearvana Festivals, uh, and various Fearvana areas. The umbrella, unlike Virgin, though it has 200 verticals, our focus is going to be enhancing well-being and improving the quality of people's lives. So the verticals will be within that sort of realm. And um, and, and that's why the Fearvana Fitness, Fearvana Academy, the sort of an educational institution for the younger generation, teaching them these skills. And, and a significant portions of all of these will go towards the foundation and the nonprofit work as well. Wow, that's incredible. So what does the Fearvana Foundation actually do at the moment? I mean, like, what is its core focus at right now? So right now we've just got the 501c3 and it's sort of still being built out as the Fearvana brand grows so because just in terms of entrepreneurial ADD which we talked about is focusing one step at a time so right now the primary focus is the book and you know we want it we want it to be very successful once it launches then the next two phases of my uh, the next year my primary focus will be the Fearvana Academy and Fearvana Foundation I want to get both to a point where they you know sort of pa- self-sustaining put somebody in charge and move on to the next one like the Richard Branson model uh, but the Fearvana Foundations will be similar to like a Clinton Foundation where it'll be like a, a an umbrella nonprofit that supports others nonprofits in doing their work but we have certain key criteria like you know any any to any money we give away, any anybody who donates, 100% of profits will go directly to the people that need it as opposed to administrative costs. There'll be 100% transparency. So like I've raised money for charity before in some of my various adventures around the world. And it's great. You know, I've, I've raised money for Doctors Without Borders, but I've always liked to know, okay, where is my money going? Is it helping, you know, a child struggling with after an earthquake in Haiti? Is it helping somebody in Asia? Is it helping somebody in Africa? Like what's actually happening with it? So we want to be very transparent. Okay, if you donate to the Fearvana Foundation, you know, here's what your money is doing. Here's who it's specifically helping and how they're helping them. So these are some elements, but really the Fearvana Foundation's general mission and the theme is about improving the quality of people's lives because that's a huge problem that I find today is that you know when we measure progress collectively as a society, we look at progress from this way of making our lives easier and easier, like this new technology to make our lives easier. But making our lives easier is not making our lives better. In fact, it's only making it worse. And we're, we have, you know, collectively, we have this very negative relationship with these words like fear, stress, adversity, struggle, suffering. These are not quote unquote positive words. But when you make them positive words, you will find like that that's what life is about is engaging these things and living, you know, engaging a meaningful challenge is, is the process of happiness. You know, it's not this end result waiting for us. It's not making our lives easier. And then suddenly when we have a million dollars, we'll be happy. And we talked about Sinead O'Connor. We can see successful people who have, quote unquote, everything, you know, that they're not happy because happiness is in the here and now in the pursuit of a meaningful challenge. And that's what we want to help people do with all the arms of Fearvana. Wow, that is incredibly powerful, especially with like something that you're going out there and just doing. And I know you'll do it in an amazing way. Now, this is kind of like bringing me up to my favorite part of the show. I, I love this part of the show because especially with someone like you, I know, well, we already discussed so much of it, but I kind of want to get your uh, idea in this section. Now, as you know, every, you've been through your down and outs. I mean, I sure as hell have. And I'm sure everyone that is, mm-hmm. you know, on their journey that's doing something. Yeah. No one's really, anyone that's going to dare to do something great has never had that, oh yeah, I'm just chugging along and it's just everything smooth sailing. I'm just coasting. <laughs> Sometimes I feel we're down. Or no, we go through what we call, what I call the entrepreneurially extreme roller coaster. It's mm-hmm. basically like one day you're like feeling normal. The next day you're like 10, 20, 30 feet up in the air. And then the next day, you're like 50 feet underground. You're like, why am I touching Earth's core right now? What the shit's going on? And then you come right back up. There's no such thing as like 
just a normal day. It's like, no, it's up and down, up and down, up and down, and you normalize what is what you can. Yep. Now, with that being said, sometimes your confidence gets knocked for a very long time. I mean, uh, personally speaking myself, I think I've gone through, like in business, I've gone through like 60 to 90 days without actually making a goddamn sale of significance. Like, I made a little bit of money, but nothing. So it's like, I'm just kind of like living on anything I can get my hands on. It's like in and out. Now, yeah. that, that rocks your confidence at times. Sometimes it builds your confidence. What I'm going to ask you right now is when someone's hitting a low point where the confidence cannot be buried any further, well, they're already low, and then they think, okay, this is the lowest it will go, and then it just hits harder, and they go down even further. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them to stop them, A, spiraling, and B, get them back up to the place where they can be? And more importantly, how did you do this yourself? Because I know you did it. Yeah, uh, I've talked about, you know, that tool that, that LMNOP is a good tool to sort of get out of that downward spiral. But the, one of the most important things you can do, and I've learned this from a business mentor of mine, which I thought was absolute gold. He, ta- he said to me that commitment is the fuel, confidence is the reward. And what he means by that and what anybody s- s- listening is that don't seek out being confident. You know, you can't be confident about something you haven't done before. And this is a huge problem, again, with our collective system on how, uh, how we approach this. You know, we'll have 20, the millions of articles on the Internet about, you know, 17 different strategies on how to be more confident. The truth is, if you haven't done something before, you're not going to be confident about it. And that's OK. But what you can be is committed. And so the way you get commitment fuel is to leverage confidence from the past successes. So when I was writing this book, for example, I was absolutely terrified. Is it going to be a good book? Is it garbage? Is it, you know, are people going to like it? Is it going to make a difference? I wasn't confident about about the book but what I was was committed and I got confidence fuel from everything else I've done in my life so you know I survived the Marines Iraq climbed mountains all that other stuff that gives me confident but I wasn't confident about writing I wasn't confident when I started my business because I'd never done it before so now what I am is committed and the next new thing builds committed so now that I've written the book I've gotten great endorsements you know the Dalai Lama wrote the forward and now I'm confident about the book because commitment was the fuel confidence is the reward but now I'm not confident about marketing the book because that's a whole new challenge but what i am is committed so the key thing is there is don't look for confidence just look for commitment okay so that's awesome so look look for commitment in yourself and kind of like schedule yourself back off the wins that you had previously right yeah and you know i'm happy to go into structures but that's like i can share a structure that i use but that's where like yeah, that's but that's that's where again coming build that building that positive relationship to suffering. So another thing, you know, like okay, some structures, for example. So you know, when when I was I was not confident about my about my book, right? So the value in this is that fear propels you to prepare. When you have fear, you can use it to prepare better because I can say, okay, what am I scared about? That the book's not going to be any good. How do I address that? I can study from people who've written good books. So I studied from Jack Canfield, the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul series, and now I wrote a book that I can truly say I'm proud of. I mean, I must have trashed a hundred thousand words worth of work to get here. So a lot of work went into. That's months and months and months of work, but ultimately I'm happy for the result, right? But that was because I was afraid. If I wasn't afraid, if I just wanted a book out there, you know, it would have been like, who cares? I could put out some garbage and whatever, you know? But I was afraid, so I studied how, what am I afraid of, and I addressed that fear. So in terms of structures, one little technique that I do that's been absolute gold, and I, I think it can help anybody with the activity they're struggling with is – what you do is you find an activity that you absolutely love and enjoy. So in my case, it was running. Running was my piece and my go-to moment. You start playing one particular song before you do that thing. So I would play one particular song the same time every, every, every time before I go running. And I'd even listen to it in the same way. I'd sit in the same way with my hands in the same position. And then, my, and then after about two weeks of doing this, my brain creates an anchor between this song and this activity I love and my peace and my joy. And then what I start doing is playing that song before a work shift. So let's say I struggle with writing, right? That's not something 
that was that's easy to me. I would play this song, and my brain started creating an anchor between this song and go mode, right? Like this is go mode, this is enjoyment mode, this is work time, and that song becomes this trigger to activate your brain and send it into action. That's been an awesomely useful strategy that I've used to to get stuff done. So before I, so the way I work my shifts also with work is I try to work in one hour to one hour ten minute shifts, and I set a timer and I work in those shifts, and then I take a ten minute break, and after about two shifts I take a longer break, and before every shift of work I play the same song, and then I'll immediately you know my brain just goes in go mode. It's go time. So I've, and I've seen the difference. Even when I'm tired, this song comes in. It's like okay, you know. Boom, you're right back in it. So that's a great way to activate your brain and create triggers. And you'll see athletes do this. So that's why athletes do have the same exact rituals. Like tennis players will bounce the ball the same amount of times. You know, They follow very structured rituals because they've created anchors in their brain that teach them that this ritual is go mode. And, that's a, and music is a very powerful way to do that. Oh, I agree. Now you know I'm going to ask you, right? What's that song? What's, what's, what's your go song? <laughs> it's actually a compilation of uh, theme music from the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, dark, nice. Yeah, dark, and then dark night, and then it's. I kind of created this little mashup myself. I'm happy to share it, but you know, it's, it's obviously not like my copyright, all that stuff. I just created the mashup just for me. But Hacksaw Ridge theme music with Dark Knight, and then have you have you seen the movie Rocky Balboa? Yeah. Dude, yeah, you, I, I, you know, the Rocky movies I grew up on. So yeah. exactly right, like Rocky movies are the, are my are my thing. And there's that whole scene where Sylvester Stallone says, you know, it the the, the world is not, ain't all sunshine and rainbows. rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I'll I don't care how tough teams. you are, it'll beat you to your knees. Exactly. So it's this mashup of like Hacksaw Ridge with Dark Knight and that and that Rocky theme uh, in this one little compilation it's like a three minute song that i put together myself and that's like my i mean the song is literally labeled on my ipod called activation trigger <laughs> that's what that, the name that is, <laughs> i might actually create something similar to that because lately um there's a couple of songs it's uh they're not the most how do i put this nicely they're not the most nicest songs but some of them really <laughs> get me in the mood and one of them is uh i don't know if you listen to hip-hop or anything but like um immortal technique he has a song called black vikings and it's from his uh, last album, The Martyr. It is, by all means, probably not a good... It's not a good song. It's more or less like, if there were Black Vikings, what would they be like in the sense of, like, today? It's quite a, it's quite an aggressive song. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the thing is, the, the instrumental to it is just amazing because it's just yeah. basically warriors of old just kind of, like, marching, and you can hear them march in the background over the beat. And I'm like... That shit like gets me going. Sounds, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> late, and the other song lately for me as well is uh, "Ain't No Grave" um, by Johnny Cash. Just like the, just the first couple of verses to it is like "Ain't No Grave Can Hold My Body Down." It's just like um, when I hear that trumpet sound, my body's gonna jump straight out the ground because ain't no grave gonna hold me down. And I'm like that shit gets me because again, jujitsu for me, I'm mostly on my back. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I prefer to play on my. I prefer to play on the bottom. Um, Hyper flexibility does that for you, so it's really, really cool. But whenever that song comes on, right before I go into a competition, right before I go into anything, it's just like you ain't taking me down, motherfucker. I'm gonna beat your ass, and you ain't even know what's <laughs> gonna come to you. But that's that's really cool. I'm glad that you're you're one of the very few people that actually really like compiled that in a way that's that's amazing. And that leads me to my other favorite question, really, which is three pieces of advice. Three pieces of advice um, that you'd give to an entrepreneur or anyone really listening to this that is going through like a struggle. That, I, I mean, you've already given some amazing advice, so we can conduce it down to like you know, embrace the struggle, get through it, that kind of fun stuff. But is there anything personal that you want to add to that? Just finally, as um, as a final note, really. 
Yeah, beyond what I've shared, I would say the only sort of final sort of to summarize this, especially this last point of what we talked about in working in one-hour shifts is that create your life in a way that you remove thinking from when you don't need it and and so you can save your cognitive energy for when you do need it and your and the ability to suffer when you need it so what i mean by that is you know that's why i have structured work shifts i have a morning ritual so i don't even have to think about my morning ritual it's an app on my phone and it says morning ritual and i just literally follow step by step what it says so first thing in the morning when i wake up i'm not wasting what's it's called decision fatigue every time you make a decision in your life you're actually using energy so be very conscious about where you're using decisions and don't so don't remove thinking from all those other things so i wake up in the morning i just follow a list of systems and then i follow an action step so i know that i have five particular things i need to get done every day because i've planned it out the night before and then i just work in one hour shifts so i'm not thinking about what to do and that way when i do need to conserve energy i can save it because when you save willpower for when you need it in this one particular task willpower is absolutely limitless and they'll talk about studies about how willpower drains with energy and all this stuff and that's true but if you look at what human beings can do i mean i just one like just quick example i know this ultra runner who ran from the north pole to the south pole averaging about two marathons a day for 11 months i mean that is impossible beautiful right and same thing with hacksaw ridge talking about this movie this is a true story again about a world war ii veteran who single-handedly saved 75 people in the middle of a war zone and dragging some of them as far as a football field and then lowering them off a cliff and just single-handedly did that and he's a light guy like 150 pounds i mean what he did was impossible that's pure will that's like that's we can do so much more than we believe we can and uh Save your energy when you need it so you don't waste it on min many things and silly things in life like what do you do first thing when you wake up? Follow a system. <laughs> that would be my summary and takeaways uh, for anybody listening. <laughs> that is amazing. Now, just very quickly, right as we're wrapping up and stuff, you're actually doing um, – this. people can go check out fearvana.com, but you're also doing like uh, a book giveaway right now. Is all correct? Yes, so the book right now we're giving away for free. Uh, we just we want to get it in as many hands as possible, at least until the pre-launch phase. We'll be giving it for free. Uh, after that, again, it'll go back to retail and the, and the profits will go to charity. But until then, we're giving it for free, and there's a bunch of bonuses you get. Which I, and, and one of them is also an interview with my business mentor, which I uh, mentioned. I mean, that interview, like the guy's just absolute genius, so I, I recommend any entrepreneur can check that out. And it's also we also have an interview with a, a self-made billionaire and one of Forbes' 100 most powerful women in the world, who's also just an amazing entrepreneur. So some of those bonuses just giveaways just to get the book out in as many hands as possible. That is amazing. Guys, go check out fearvana.com and definitely support Akshay and everything he does because the guy's just like a legit badass. I mean, you've just spent like <laughs> about, what, nearly an hour with the guy and you're telling me that this guy does not kick ass? <laughs> I, I disagree with you every day of the week on that one. Um, Akshay, so much, thank you so much for doing this interview. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I hope to have you on again in the future. Thanks, brother. I loved it. I had great speaking with you. Likewise, guys, go check out fearvana.com. As always, like I said, we're sponsored by abrasiveentrepreneur.com, adelamarcy.com, and fearvana.com for this episode. Take care. See you guys on the next episode.